Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. One, two, three. They all come from the unknown north. Talent, drive, and a pride worth paying for. But just because they're above the 49 parallel, it doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate them just as well. So give it up to these Canucks, because our self-promotion sucks. And if they all went away, we sure would miss them. Canadian star system. Oh, hello there, and welcome back to the Canadian Star System, a podcast where we speak with some of Canada's most talented people and try to figure out what makes them so good and what makes Canada so bad at celebrating our own. Each episode, our star not only shines, but also shines their spotlight on another talent who they know is a star worthy of wishing the best of success. I'm your host, Steve Patterson, and you may not know me. But that's not the point of this show. The point is getting to know people that we already know and those that we don't yet, but will soon. And with me, as always, is my producer, who, you know, we could describe her as so many different things, but I like to describe her as the person who sends me the link to get onto this podcast every week. Diana Francis. Hi, Diana. Every week. Every <laughs> week. I just have to send you that link because you just won't bookmark it. <laughs> the voice of exasperation is a familiar tone to me. <laughs> you know, I know that we always say we're excited about the guests and sometimes we have to lie more about that than others. But I think you really are. We really are excited about our featured guest this week, especially you, Diana, because our guest is not only an incredible Canadian, but an incredible Calgarian. And you have a special place in your heart for the city of Calgary. One thing that they do for some visiting distinguished guests is the white hat ceremony, where they give a white hat to uh, visitors. Have you been white hatted? Personally? I have not. And I, I feel like that's a terrible oversight because I live in Toronto, but my boyfriend lives in Calgary and I've managed to maintain a successful nearly three-year long-distance relationship, and I feel like that should get me a white hat. <laughs> well, well, maybe we can talk to this week's guest mm. about that. Have you been white-hatted? Oh, this? <gasps> I mean, <sighs> I guess... Yeah. Listener, he's wearing a white hat. No, it's not just a white It's the white hat. I was white-hatted right after a taping of the debaters that we did in Calgary a few years back by our featured guest this week. So I'll tell you the story, but you know, it is an honor to get this. It's a distinct Canadian honor to be white-hatted and I'm very proud to have a reason to wear it because I'm not going to lie to you, not, not that many occasions walking around <laughs> Toronto to wear this hat. But let's, should we just get right into it, Diana? Absolutely. And uh, we'll see if we can get you one after this interview. So don't screw it up. All right. Fair enough. Our featured guest today 
has captured the attention of not just Canada, but the world, even though his job and his attention has been squarely on one city for the past 10 years or more. In 2010, he became the first Muslim mayor of a major North American city. In 2013, his management and communications through a major flood became the textbook for crisis management that every politician should read, but most have not. In 2014, he was named the best mayor in the world, Diana. And maybe most importantly, in 2012, he presented me with this hat, a white (laughs) hat, the greatest honor that can be bestowed upon a person in Calgary, thus making me an honorary Calgarian. He is the inspirational, motivational, nenshational Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Well, hello there. Nice hat, Steve. (laughs) Thank you. Steve, I I feel like I should tell the actual story of how you got that hat. Oh, really? Oh, did I guilt you into it? Do you have to tell the real? All right. Let's just say that I was at the taping of the debaters. The tickets were free, so I figured whatever. You don't have to Um, mention that. I'll just go. And basically, the host through the entire taping. I'm the host, by the way, listener. Was complaining. About the fact that he didn't have a white hat. (laughs) Yeah. Luckily, the theater is directly across the street from City Hall. And (laughs) so during the intermission, I walked across the street. Who am I kidding? I sent someone to walk across the street. (laughs) There it is. There it is. And go into my office and look in the closet of white hats. There really is a closet of white hats, but there usually aren't very many in there. And they said, what's his size? And I said, oh, he's got a big head. I do have a big head. They brought back the hat. And after the show... I was very happy to present that white hat to a true Canadian star. Oh, even if that story started out with you didn't deserve it, but you guilted me into it. I'm still honored to have this. And it was a really special moment because there I was on my show that I host and a whole nice theater of happy people. And you went through the whole ceremony with me. And uh, I truly am honored. And the reason that it's an honor, not only to have it in general, it was to get it from you, Mr. Mayor, because... You were talking about treasures. You are a national and international treasure. And we're going to talk about where things are now. We're going to backtrack. But I just have to ask you first, and Diana's definitely got a question on her lips. Is it about the hat, Diana? It is, because I'm I'm recognizing some parallels in this story here. Okay. So obviously, Mr. Mayor, you're very fiscally conscious. That's excellent. Uh, this is also <laughs> a free show. And I am a co-host <laughs> So I'm assuming that if I guilt my way through this entire episode, when we wrap up, there will be a white hat that you have delegated somebody to send to Toronto at my door? No, it has to be in Calgary. It has to be in Calgary. The white hat must be given out in the city of Calgary. Yeah. Um, That said, I'm in office for uh, until October 18th. So we've got a little (laughs) while left. So next time you're in town, swing by City Hall. I got a supply closet to clean. That's up. how. That's really how I want it to happen. Is I just lurk around City Hall closets. <laughs> and by the way, the I thing. should say that makes it sound like it is not special. It actually is very it special. Is very and special. it is, and there aren't that many in the closet. I just keep a couple on hand in case random comedians uh, guilt me into it. You know. The, the, let the lesson be to everyone out there. If you can't, sure. We don't get enough recognition on our own. <laughs> if you if you have a mayor in the house, see what they can do. And thank God Calgary has these beautiful white hats. I mean, if you're in different cities, you know, some way they just throw stuff at you. So they, I'm, I'm very happy. With you that. know, the very first one I gave when I became mayor was to the brand new governor general of Canada, David Johnston. He and wow. I started pretty much at the same time. I've given it to the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, Will and Kate to all kinds of heroes, to Olympians, to William Shatner. Wow. Probably my favorite one was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, uh, Because you will remember, Steve, that there are a couple of ways of doing it. There's sort of a formal way of doing it, which I have only ever done with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. (laughs) Then there's a not funny version, and then there's a funny version. We usually (laughs) ask people, we sometimes surprise them like I did with you, but if we have time in advance, we ask the people, you know, do you want the funny version or the not funny version? And no one has ever said they want the not funny version. <laughs> so with Schwarzenegger, I didn't ask. He just got the funny version because I had to hear him in that accent. Talk about back slapping, foot stomping, <laughs> folks and critters in Calgary. Uh, it was it was pretty awesome. Oh. <laughs> well, it is. I am honored to be in that club even more so now. Now, let's talk about this as we're speaking You've got still time left in your mandate, but you've announced 
in 2021 that you will not seek a fourth consecutive term as mayor, but you have served three consecutive terms as mayor of Calgary. First question, what are you going to miss most about this job that you've done so, so magnificently for the past decade? You know, there's a bunch of fun things that I'm going to miss. I got to fly a fighter jet. Wow. I get to storm the stage at Canadian comedy shows without uh, security <laughs> stopping me. There's very little security at any Canadian comedy show, just <laughs> yeah, so we, you know. Yeah we, yeah, we don't have a lot of that, yeah. But in any case, so there are those sorts of fun things that I'll miss because the great thing about this job is I have an all-access pass to the city, and that all-access pass is my face. <laughs> I get to really participate in a bunch of crazy things that happen in the city. And I get to learn about people who are doing really cool stuff. I had no idea, for example, that Calgary is a world center for the sport of jump rope. That there's some very passionate folks who love jump rope and they teach kids how to do jump rope. And the kids go off the national and world championships in the sport. And I just love that. And I love the fact that in addition to the, the real work that happens, in addition to the, the serious stuff about actually having the ability to make people's lives better and change their futures, which is really what I'm going to miss. I just love that kind of window onto amazing people doing amazing things that you never otherwise know about, which is one of the reasons I was so intrigued when you asked me to join this podcast. Well, we're, we're going to talk a lot about Calgary, which is obviously near and dear to your heart, and you've been such a pinnacle part of it, but it grew exponentially and internationally when you had your successful campaign in 2010 because you made such strong use of social media with your campaign that it sort of became an international campaign. And you sort of set out to answer the question, being an academic, you have a We'll talk about it a little bit. You have a, a degree from Calgary University and one from a school called, sorry, I have it here. I believe it's Harvard. I might be saying Something that wrong. Like that. It's, I might be saying that incorrectly. It's a a little, little school outside of Boston. A little school in the, in the in south of here, yeah. But you set out to answer the question, could an unknown academic with good ideas and no money do well in an election? Now, here we are. <laughs> You've just finished three consecutive terms. What was the answer to that question? Uh, yes, as it turned out. Um, but there's a little more to it than that. So, you know, I was a professor and my field is nonprofit management, but my real research area was around civic engagement, how and why people get involved in their communities. And I also had a thing about cities and how cities could work better. And I had written a small book about the future of Canadian cities 20 years ago. And so I was kind of in the media a lot, but if unless you were a real nerd who was really interested in cities, you'd have no idea who I was. But the piece around civic engagement is the interesting one. The research and the practice is very clear on this. Number one reason that people don't volunteer in their community is not, I don't have time, or I don't have money, or I don't have interest. The number one reason is nobody asked me. Hmm. And so for many years since, uh, since I've been elected, I've had a program called Three Things for Canada which is as simple as it sounds. It encourages every citizen every year to do at least three acts of community service. Could be mowing your neighbor's lawn, could be joining a nonprofit organization's board or anything in between. And so we found that it's actually very easy to get people volunteering in the community. You just have to ask them. Hmm. However, it was very hard to get people involved in politics and in government. And so I spent the better part of a year in 2009 trying to convince other people to run for Calgary City Council. I met with CEOs and soccer moms and every possible kind of person who was involved in the community who I thought was smart, saying, you should do this. And every single person said no. I struck out every time. And I particularly struck out with women. And my evergreen joke that I've been giving for 11 years is that I'm very used to striking out with women. But this was different. <laughs> this was completely different. And women were really saying, look, there's no room in the political environment that we have for someone like me. Hmm. I have a family. I want to have a family. I don't want to be in that crazy competitive environment where every word is scrutinized. And it really bothered me. And I thought, how are we going to increase the participation of people in the world? and in politics in the world, and particularly in local politics. And so, you know, I kept trying to tell people, no, it can be better if we elect better people. That's what really matters. And enough people finally said to me, well, what about you? 
Hmm. Why are you going beacon off on this so much? (laughs) Why don't you just do it yourself? And I had every excuse in the world. You know, politicians have to be good looking and charismatic and they have to like, you know, puppies and children and rainbows and making decisions, all things I hate. You and hate puppies and rainbows and children? This is a this is a breakthrough moment. <laughs> I think we just found no, our I, uh, our clip to promote the no, episode. No, no, let's have the context. Kissing, let's not take what kissing babies and shaking hands. Never get that backwards. It's all bad. Um, no, actually, I I love those things. But that you know, I'm just a nerdy academic, right? I'm just a, a slumpy guy who likes to read and write and talk about things. And how's that going to work? And enough people said to me, you know. Put your money where your mouth is. You can't be a bystander in life. And so then I started thinking about it. And I said, well, if all the theories that I've been espousing as an academic are actually true, this could work. So I spent a few months really thinking about, could this work? Because I wasn't interested in entering the election so that people could pat me on the head and say, thank you for bringing some diversity to this election. Or thank you for elevating the debate in this election. I was going to say, if I'm going to spend all this time and other people's money on this, I'm doing it to win. And I think not a lot of people understood that that's what I was doing at the beginning anyway. And so we crafted a strategy. You know, I'm a strategist by heart and by training of how do you get a guy who doesn't have any money, who's spending one third as much as his opponents, who is running against people who have been in politics for many years, running against the anchor of the six o'clock news, who Mm -hmm. everybody knows. And actually get out there. And the answer we came to, and the social media was just a little piece of it, but the answer we came to is treat people like adults. Go to people where they live. I called it politics in full sentences. Hmm. So the idea is don't sugarcoat things. Actually have big, authentic, real conversations on hard issues with people and tell them where you stand. So I released in that election 12 policy documents which included, even back then, a video and audio podcast, Hmm. kind of a one-page summary, a five- or six-page detailed document of what I was going to do, and then a a paper that could be 50 or 60 pages long with references and footnotes saying where these ideas came from, where they've worked, here are some case studies. And every one of those had more words in it than the combined policy platforms of all of my opponents, and there were 12 of them. (laughs) And so it was a bit crazy. And most politicians thought it was insane and no one was going to read that. And I would do these these videos that would be like 40 minutes long of me pontificating on how transit could work better. And people would actually watch them. Not everybody, (laughs) but people who were interested in the kind of people who you ask when there's an election coming. Everyone has a friend. They ask going, who should I vote for? Those people were watching these videos. And that's really where this came out. And the social media gave us a great opportunity to continue that conversation. So now I still believe in politics in full sentences and the media always say what you can probably tell from the answer to this question. We love the politics in full sentences. Why are there so many of them? <laughs> <laughs> now, I I do find it a really interesting dilemma because community organizers are who you want in charge of communities. It seems like a no-brainer, but they often aren't the ones that want to go into politics. Do you think in Canada, at least, that might be because Canadians, and especially in Alberta, I will say, it's a it's a roll up your sleeves type of environment. I'm going to go do what has to be done. I'm not going to go make the speeches about it. I'm not going to have people look at me. I want to just go out there and do what there is to be done. However, if you don't have someone with that like mind organizing other people and inspiring other people to do it, then it doesn't get done. And then the people that are in charge of things are not the ones that care about their communities. Well, I think that anyone who takes the sacrifice standard public life with very few exceptions really believe in and love their community. But sometimes the system doesn't allow you to really do that. It doesn't allow you to really express that because you're stuck in a partisan system, you're stuck in a party system, you're stuck in an ideological mindset, sometimes in your own brain, sometimes we are our own enemies. And you know, my political color is purple. And I've worn purple every day for the last 11 years. And it's not because it brings out the color of my eyes. (laughs) It does look nice on you. I got to say, we're being honest. 
even after well and you know the thing is I'm, i can't get rid of it now i have an embarrassingly large number of purpose-made sneakers <laughs> everyone i know listeners if you see a pair of purple suede men's sneakers size nine and a half or ten you just send them to me and literally all my friends have this instruction and if they're anywhere in a shoe store in the world and they see a pair of sneakers i get another pair of purple sneakers out of it but <laughs> In any case, even after 11 years, when I explain why, some people are still surprised. And the reason that I wear purple every day is because it is blue and red. It is a combination of those two colors. And I'm trying to make a message that says we don't have to be partisan. We don't have to be defined by our ideology. We can be defined by our humanity and figure out how to work together on issues to solve the problems that we're facing in the community. And so that's why I love municipal politics. In most parts of the country, there are no political parties in municipal politics. And I've got this council, which if you believe in the concept of the political spectrum left to right, I don't really believe in it, by the way. I think it's an artificial construct and that most Canadians don't define themselves in that way. But if you believe in it, then I've got everyone on my council from Trump Party of Canada to... Hmm. Mother Earth will save us all if we have the right crystals. <laughs> and yet, most of what we do is unanimous. And people are able to, and if it's not unanimous, it's usually a very different group voting for and a very different group voting against. Even after four years of this council, in every vote, there, every meeting, there is a vote, which is a brand new vote split we've never seen before. The fact is, you've got to put that aside and make the decision on, should we be investing this way in downtown Calgary? And ultimately, we try to do what's right, regardless of ideology. And that's why I love municipal politics. That's why I've shied away from going into provincial or federal politics, because I'm just not convinced that there's a lot of room for purple in the legislatures or in the parliaments of this country. Really, to be truly inclusive, shouldn't you be throwing some orange in there as well? I just couldn't figure out what you get when you get red, blue and orange try mixed it. together. You, you basically get brown and I've already got that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned earlier that when, like before you decided to run, that you were getting a lot of rejection from women to get involved in politics. Now that you're in the position that you're in, in the past 10 years, have you seen more women get involved in the local level uh, with politics in Canada? Has that shifted? Like, I'm wondering if the if the reason that they were saying no was because there's a certain level of toxicity that comes with that people think come with the power of politics. And have you been able to create uh, an environment where it's more welcoming to uh, particularly women? So it has shifted. And it has gotten much worse. Mm. <gasps> And that is the most awful thing for me. So back in the 80s, in the 90s, municipal politics were where women tended to get more involved. Because, you know, they, they tended to come up. I, I know it sounds stereotypical, but they tended to come up through school parent associations, yeah. through community associations, and find themselves in municipal politics. And in the 80s, we were, we've never had a female mayor in Calgary, but we've often been close to parity on our city council. And so when I was elected in 2010, there were only three women out of 15 on my city council. And one of the very first things I did, which, by the way, was opposed by two of the three women, is just make a symbolic change, which was to change the title alderman that we had used for many years to the more gender neutral counselor. For my efforts, I was rewarded in the next election with the lowest percentage of female candidates huh. in generations in mm. a um, municipal election in Calgary, and I ended up with two women on city council. Now, why, why was that? I don't understand what happened. Well, I think there's a couple of things going on. And by the way, now I've got three, and I am optimistic for the future. We're going to have a generational change on our council in this coming election. A majority of the councillors will likely be brand new, and there are very strong female candidates running. Out of what would probably be the five frontrunners for mayor, two of them are women. Mm. So it may change. But ultimately, I can't talk about what happened in Calgary specifically, but I can talk much more broadly, which is you asked a question, Steve, about social media. Yeah. And, you know, it had so much promise. It really <laughs> did. And when we were running in 2010, I found weirdly that 100, 140 characters, as it then was on Twitter, was enough to have a really authentic conversation with people. 
And, you know, famously, I had all these like listicles about me when that was a thing about, you know, Nenshi is Canada's internet dad with all the spicy and salty <laughs> things I said on Twitter. <laughs> I don't even go on it anymore. And the reason is, and my, my campaign manager in 2010 famously said that other politicians use social media as a television for broadcast, and we use it as a telephone for a conversation. Hmm. And we found that even in 140 characters, you could have real authentic conversations with people. And other people would jump in and sometimes you'd get a better solution because people were having respectful debate with one another. It was never entirely utopian. There were still jerks there. But I remember when I was first elected, we agonized for six months over whether or not to ban one guy from our Facebook page hmm. because he was being a jerk. And now we ban dozens of people a day. Huh. And I've given up because when, I, when someone asks me a question about compost pickup, and I answer the question, 10 people will pile in with like racist, awful, nasty things. You're a fascist. You're a communist. I can be both on the same uh, topic, which means most people didn't pay attention in social studies. A fascist. I've heard of that. I thought it was just a person who thought it was just a person that dressed nicely. I, I, now I'm and now wore I a lot of purple. That's right. But, um, <laughs> but in any case, but they copy the person who had the innocent question about composting. And then that person's got to deal with all this garbage. Right. Right. And so for me, so circling back to the question about women in politics, for me, as a person of color, it's bad. And I get a tiny fraction of what women in politics get. Wow. And it is unbelievable. And so one of the things I'm really trying to say as I wind down my political career and I encourage others to run, because one of the reasons I'm winding it down is I want to try and create room to make space for new and diverse voices to get out of the way. The thing that I really am trying to tell people, and I'm not sure how true it rings, is look, it's not easy, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. It's so rewarding. And my job as someone with the scars in my back is to continue to protect you, is to continue to take those arrows for you so that you have the space you need to be able to contribute in this way. Hmm. And it's easy to say and it's hard to do. And ultimately, I shouldn't have to have the arrows in my back either. But better me than the 16-year-old girl in the hijab who is scared of walking down a river pathway on a spring day because she's going to get harassed. And so that's our challenge as a community. And we can't rely on women or people of color to solve this problem for us. We can't rely on them to take on all the emotional labor. We have to be able to, all of us, use that terrible cliched word, allies. Be not just allies, but be protectors and be lifters up of people who want to be able to do this work. So here in Calgary, we've got a great organization. It's called Ask Her. And it is all about asking women to run for politics. Hmm. Because they find that on average, women need to be asked about a dozen times by a dozen different people before they feel comfortable enough to take the step. But I spoke at the very first uh, annual meeting of Ask Her, and I said, asking her is great. Now you got to do more. You got to train her. You got to run her campaign. You got to raise money for her. And you got to help her win. And to their credit, that's what they've done. They train women candidates. They put them in touch with people who can help with fundraising, uh, especially early money. And these are the things to help women and people of color, BIPOC folks, be able to get beyond some of the structures that are preventing them from running. And so we can fix that technical problem, but ultimately we also have to work hard as people to make it a more comfortable place for diverse voices because we, we, we get better government. That Absolutely. Way. It's ironic that, uh, and I think it's admirable that you're saying you're stepping down to make room for other diverse voices. And it's, it's it. Uh, I got really sad when you said that, because I don't think I've heard a lot of, you know, straight white male politicians saying I'm going to step away from my position to be able to make room for diverse voices. But yet here is a diverse voice who has the awareness to do that. Yeah, but, you know, not all diverse voices are the same. I'm a straight, cisgendered, educated man. Uh, although I come from a poor family and working class background, I've got privilege. And so it is an opportunity for us to be able to think about how to make that space for different 
different kinds of folks. But ultimately, look, I'm a Gen Xer. And the defining uh, thing of Gen Xers is we never had room. The baby boomers <laughs> took it all up. Right? And so we're forever trying to make space for ourselves. And I'm just now trying to do that for folks that come behind. I'm not going anywhere. I'm only 49 years old. I think I've got another chapter or two in me left. But in this place and in this case, and especially after the year we've had where issues of what it truly means to be an anti-racist community are coming to the fore, it just felt right to be able to make that space. Now, maybe that space gets taken over by a uh, middle-aged old white guy. Who knows? (laughs) But the opportunity to make that space is actually there. Sorry, guys. I'm just getting a call right now to ask me to run for mayor of Calgary. And that's not the takeaway (laughs) That is not the takeaway from this, everyone. All right. You have the hat already. I do have the hat. I could run, but I, I think that there are at least a thousand people I can think of, including my own wife, who would much do a much better job. And I honestly, during this pandemic that we are all hoping uh, we'll be on the other side of uh, as soon as humanly possible, it has fallen disproportionately on women, especially moms of young families, to keep households going while everything else has tried to keep going in the world. So I, you know, we encourage uh, women who are amazing at, at the organization and running households to run for things, but they simply don't have the time to do it. And that's uh, one of the, the key challenges. You know, one of the questions that prospective women candidates often ask me, which I don't think any prospective male candidate has ever asked me, is a very simple question. Are the hours flexible enough that I can manage school pickups? Hmm. And the answer is actually yes, Hmm. because you're your own boss. So except for days when you're in council, which are scheduled in advance, so you know on this Monday and this Tuesday, you're going to be busy, you actually do have a fair bit of flexibility. But we never tell people that. You know, it's just not thought of as important. It's not in the candidate training sessions. And I think that that is really critical. I want to just jump on the point you're talking about, about the pandemic, as being very gendered, because you're right. Not only all of our assumptions about the pandemic have been a very gendered view of the economy. If we close the elementary schools, you know, we assume that a parent can stay home with the kids and we're not going to cause a childcare crisis. And in the back of our head, all of us, women and men, when we close our eyes and assume the parent who can stay home with the kids, we're thinking of the mom. And so we are basically arguing that women's work is of less value, that women can drop in and out. But in addition to that, the jobs that you can't do from home, the retail jobs, the frontline jobs in healthcare are primarily jobs that are filled by women. And so if the pandemic has taught us anything, I hope, and again, I wear purple, I'm very centrist, I'm very conservative, I don't like to spend money on stuff, I'm very fiscal fiscal hawk, but I also strongly believe in dignity and equity for everyone in the community. That's why purple fits well. Ultimately, we have created an economy that we've never thought about. And it is an economy where across this country in every city, women get up very early in the morning. And they get on the bus and they go to their job at a long-term care center. They have to get there before breakfast to wake up our grandparents and feed them breakfast. And then they work through the lunch shift. But because their employer doesn't give them enough hours so they don't have to pay benefits, they then get on another bus and go across town and do the same thing for the evening shift at a different long-term care center. And when the pandemic, and they don't get paid very much, they're almost all racialized women. And when the pandemic started, we blamed them. We said, you're putting people, you're putting our grandparents at risk because you're working in two different long-term care centers. And we didn't look at the structural things in our economy, the inequities in our economy that say, it's okay for some people to work 60 hours a week and not see their own kids and barely get by. Well, the rest of us have the privilege and the opportunity to work from home and high, we have high-speed internet and we've got enough screens in the house that the kids can go to school. And we've let that happen. And the long-term care piece is just one example of the structurally inequitable economy that we have allowed to be created. And so if we learned anything from the pandemic, it has to be about how to fulfill the promise of this country, we got to live in the same country. 
And right now we don't. Racialized people live in a different Canada than non-racialized people. People who speak with an accent live in a different Canada. I'm lucky I've got a foot in both camps. So I can kind of see a little bit of all of it. But even I am not able to see it all. And the thing I worry about the most coming out of this pandemic is what people euphemistically call a K-shaped recovery. And what that means is that people who were well-off will suddenly get much more well-off, and people who were not well-off will be much less well-off. We got to do everything we can as citizens and as politicians to make sure that doesn't happen. And now, a message from our real and fake sponsors. Hey, Diana, what's, uh, what's our fake ad for today? Well, it is a fake ad, but it's also kind of a real ad. Are you a woman? Do you live in the city of Calgary? Then you should run to be the mayor of Calgary or a city councillor because the world needs more women in politics. Ah, that is a good point. But remember, Mayor Nenshi just told us women need to be asked an average of 12 times before considering running for politics. True. Well, I just asked, so that's one down. Do you want to give it a go? You don't have to ask me twice. Uh, hey, women, run for politics, please. Thank you. That's twice. Good job, Steve. Let's keep going. Ladies, run for politics. It can't get any more toxic than it already is, so give it a go. That's a good point, too. That's that's three now. We better bang these out faster or this will be the longest fake ad ever. Good point. Ladies, please women, run, run for, for politics. politics. You can do it. Run. If you are a lady, run, run for politics. We need uh, you. Ladies and women, please run for please, politics. Run for you. city council women, or mayor or just uh, please run. Go. Bonjour les femmes please, ladies, et les jeunes filles, les politiques, c'est pour toi. That's in Calgary, that's If fluent. you are a lady, run for women, politics, Women, if my we house is you. any indication, if I were in women, charge, we'd all be politics. dead. Please run. Is that, is that 12? I think that's at least 12. Yay! And one last thing. If you're a woman and you do become the next mayor of Calgary, you'll get the keys to the white hat locker, and you'll have the power to change the rules so you can send a white hat to me here in Toronto as thanks, Okay. Uh, that's what this was all about, Diana, isn't it? Yep, but also, we need more women in politics. We do. You're right. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And now back to the show. All right, Mayor Nenshi, I feel like we're friends now. So just between friends, in all honesty, after you are no longer mayor, what are you going to do? Go. There's a word that I want everyone to know. And I think it's a word that everyone in Calgary knows because I won't stop talking about it. And the word is seva. 
And in most South Asian languages, the word seva means service. It means selfless service. And I believe that we're all called to be sevadai, people who give service. Because I think that just means human being. And so ultimately, I'm not going anywhere. I still want to be a part of the story of Calgary and Canada. There's no way that I can live in a world where I'm not giving seva one way or the other. That's my oxygen. I'm just going to try and find a way to do that outside of politics and see how we can continue doing that, at least for now. You know, never say never about the future. But right now, my plan is to figure out a way to continue giving that service. But I got to tell you something. It's been a very busy 10 years. Of course. So I probably got, you know, 50% of the debaters episodes that I've got to catch up on. <laughs> and that'll take, you know, because that's been on for what, like 35 years now or something. It has so, been on. I started I when I was 10, 10 years old doing that show. Not a lot of people know that. I had a. <laughs> and so, you know, that's going to take up a bunch of my time. And I'm told that this has been a very good decade in the area of film and television arts. So I basically, I got 10 years of TV to catch up on. I'm told something called Game of Thrones might be worth my time. Um, so I got some work to do. You got to catch up on your on your arts and culture. Yes. Well, we look forward to whatever you're going to do next. And before we have you bring on the guest that you brought to us today, I got a little section called Quick Questions. Quick Questions. So I have some quick questions for Mayor Nenshi, and I'd like you to answer these quickly. You are known... As a very formidable debater, I'm a formidable debater moderator. What is your top tip for successful debating? One top tip. Go. Think of the other side of the argument and make sure you prepare your opponent's argument. Wow. That was great. Why can't all your answers be that quick? Who <laughs> Politics in too many sentences. <laughs> <laughs> Who wins in a team debating contest? Calgary's Mount Royal University, where you have taught, or Harvard, where you have studented? Oh, Mount Royal, of course, because I'll coach him. There it is. See? Suck that, Harvard. What would your... you've got Now, this is something we didn't get to and I wanted to. You were given a, an honor by the Sutina First Nation with the name, I I hope I'm saying correctly, Latia. Latia, meaning always... Itia. Sorry? Itia? Itia. Itia, I'm sorry. Which means, translated, always ready. Right? Yes. What are you always ready for, Mayor Nenshi? Well, I have to really remind people that it means always ready, not always prompt. <laughs> <laughs> it was very kind of them, of, of Elder Bruce Starlight, to give me that particular name, because that was his argument. He said, look, the world can throw anything at you and you're ready. Uh, the city of Calgary has had three states of local emergency declared in 135 years. And lucky me, I was the mayor for all three of them. <laughs> <laughs> and we... I'm sorry we didn't even get to touch on that. That is an entire other chapter in your life, the management of the flood of 2013. What's the main thing that makes Calgary better than Edmonton? Go. Everything. Okay. That's how you know he's not the premier of the province, but the mayor of the city. <laughs> and um, you had a web, your website we talked about, you had three things for Calgary first, then you did three things for Canada. If you had your three things you could do for the world, top three things, what would they be? Number one, addressing the confluence between the environmental crisis and energy poverty and figuring out ways that we can provide clean, safe energy to people around the world and bring them out of poverty. Number two, something that I have just uh, done in Calgary and I'm trying to expand nationwide and we'll get to the world, which is think about mental health and addiction in a new way and really understand that mental health is health, that every one of us will struggle with our mental health. And it's time to talk about that and look at really effective treatments. Number three, get the debaters syndicated worldwide. <laughs> oh, my God. You are, you are just the greatest. You already had my vote and you're not even running for anything. It makes me angry. Thank you so, so much for, for this section. My last two, these are the last questions and I ask these of all the guests. Complete this sentence, please. The Canadian star system is... Question mark? <laughs> I think that's really the problem. I don't think enough people know about it. And, you know, for every person who breaks through, like my neighbor and friend, Andrew Fung. Oh, love Andrew. We love Andrew. There are so many, like the family of the person I'm about to introduce, who are so incredibly talented, who deserve to be known so much better. And we got to figure out how to make that happen. Well, that's what this entire show's raison d'etre is. 
And this sentence, being the next door neighbor to the United States is like blank. Understanding that cheese in a can exists, but not knowing where to get it. (laughs) I think that's my favorite so far. It is the greatest answer we've ever had. You know, that's what they teach you at Harvard. (laughs) Thank you so much, Marinenshi. Would you please do us the honor of introducing your featured guest you brought with us today? I'm very happy to do so. One thing about me is that I love the theater. And so I have used being mayor as an excuse to go to every possible show I can go to. And I kept hearing about this guy because he's got a very proud mama who always would tell me how talented her son was. But I got to see him in an outdoor production at Shakespeare by the Bow playing Oberon in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Now, I played Oberon in A Midsummer Night's Dream when I was a little bit younger than him. And I still know all of the words. And since then, I have seen him in solo shows. I've seen him in a Hallmark movie. I've listened to his podcast. And he is just a tremendously talented actor, filmmaker, podcaster. And he's part of a new generation. So what was really hard for me today is there's a whole generation of young people who are changing the way that we think about theater and film here in Western Canada. Folks like Zach Running Coyote or Janelle Cooper. I really wanted to bring one of those forward. So I am so happy today to introduce you to one of the most talented people I know who's making an incredible career for himself, but who remains incredibly grounded. He hosts a podcast with his mom. He's making a documentary film about his grandma, uh, both of whom deserve to be very well known. This is Griffin Cork. Wow. Wow. How is that for an introduction, Griffin? It's an honor, quite frankly. But I, I mean, I will say, Steve. There will be no better introduction than you saying nensational. Nensational? That's funnier than anything I can think of. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm glad my I'm a bit sad it took 11 spent, years to come up with that. <laughs> I spent too much time laughing alone <laughs> muted in my room. I would, I, I, I'm ready to be his campaign manager just as he's deciding to not run for anything else. So that's, that's my kind that's of right. timing. Uh, Graham, I want to say welcome to the Canadian star system which is something that should be said to every Canadian entertainer. <laughs> take that again. Take that again, Steve. You called him Graham. Graham. Sorry, did I? Yeah. Why did I? Yeah, just, just do that oh, again. Griffin, we'll edit that out. I wrote down the word Graham because I don't even know why I wrote it down, but Griffin is a much better name. It's a, uh, That's a, good. It's a uh, myth- mythological bird, right? And we'll go into the, we'll go into the roots of Griffin. Uh, Griffin, <laughs> welcome to the Canadian star system. Does it piss you off when people call you Graham? <laughs> uh, I, honestly, I got it a lot. Um, I for a while there in uni- uh, not university, the opposite elementary school, people started calling me uh, G Unit, which was uh, uh, different, and I didn't really understand the gravity of what that meant. <laughs> now you've got this incredible introduction from Mayor Nenshi, who's obviously very supportive of your work and others in the Alberta community and in the Calgary community. And what I love about your story, and we're going to get to as much of it as we can, but what I love about your story is you've taken full advantage of these programs that happily exist there, like Theatre Alberta's Arts Trek or uh, Story Hive, and you've really used that funding to make your projects and to get art out there and include other artists, fellow artists. Could you speak to us about the importance of programs like that? A hundred percent. When me and my friends at Numera Films, which is the, the film collective we run here, go to, there's a festival in Banff called the Banff World Media Festival. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a it's a big conglomeration of producers and content acquisition officers and uh, uh, network executives. And basically, it's a lot of like pitching and and listening and, and meetings and deals and all that business. But the one thing that I've learned is that there's nothing really like that in the United States. There's not a mm-hmm. lot of like government grant funding programs. There's nothing like, we'll get into it, but the Alberta Made Production Grant, stuff like the Canadian Media Funder Telefilm, like there's a lot of that missing, which kind of makes you realize how fortunate you are in terms of that kind of system to live in Canada, because there there are those subsidies and applications and grants that you can get to in varying levels of your career. There's obviously the larger, more federal ones for those farther along, but there's specifically with something like StoryHive, its whole mandate is to support emerging filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Where artists are very fortunate to have this kind of uh, uh, system in place for making this kind of work, especially knowing that there are places that there is not a, not a stitch of it. Can I just say how refreshing that is to hear it? Because, again, one of the reasons that we have this show is because we don't recognize our own enough. 
And it's good to know that there are those programs out there. Some artists get intimidated or thrown off just by the the process of the paperwork, I think, that there is to go through. But here you are, you've done that, you've got the funding, and you've made incredible projects out of it. So what can you say to Canadian artists who know those programs exist, but maybe don't think that they can access it? I'm speaking, I mean, if we're going to talk about privilege, I am like the beacon of privilege. <laughs> I am straight, white, cisgendered, educated from a decently well-off family. And more than anything, I uh, have family members in the career that I've chosen. Right. So I, like, you cannot get much more privileged than I am. The kind of takeaway from that is I write a lot of my grants and approach a lot of these, uh, I don't know, let's say pitch meetings with a certain level of confidence, which is, you know, given my position easy for me to do as a, as a white dude. Yeah, I listen, my stuff's so great. But to be excited about your work and to get other people excited about your work and to kind of explore, you can even get into like the, the economic reasons behind that or uh, what it'll do for the community, like making very community-focused work, I think is super important. Showcasing what you love and where you live is very important. The biggest thing though is, I've kind of found this time and time again, above everything else is just be kind and be reliable. Those are the things mm. that get you hired or get you money 85% of the time. Work ethic, absolutely important. Talent, absolutely important. The people you know, absolutely important. But in terms of when I approach it from like an acting standpoint, you want to be somebody that, that you can hang out with for six weeks in a rehearsal room or for two months on set. And if you're not cool to hang out with them, you're probably not going to hire them. Those are probably my, <laughs> my two biggest Kindness pieces. and reliability. Diana, you might not know this, Griffin actually writes the awards shows for the Banff Media Arts Festival. She writes the gala. Yeah. She's very familiar with it. And she, that she's all about giving props to other Canadians. So I think this is a really nice way to come together. Perfect. And I am working on the screenplay for the Mayor Nenshi story, Nenshational. So I would like that to get consideration <laughs> right that now. That sounds like a musical. It should and be Of course it's a musical. I'm not an idiot. How could it not be a musical? I mean, <laughs> of course it's let's a musical. be clear. It's on. Wait, Mayor Nenshi, who would you get to play you? Oh, great question. Who would play you in your biopic? I mean, the hard question is, can Brad Pitt sing? I ask that every day because mm. the resemblance is uncanny. He is older than you, though, Marinenshi. I'm not sure that he could look as young as you, Brad Pitt. That's the problem. He looks too old. We did mention, Griffin, this is a family business very much for you, the arts. And you've kept it a family business because you do a podcast currently called The Breakfast Dish. And your co-host is your mom. And I'm, That's I'm dying to hear how that is. I feel like my co-host is my mother. But we're actually the same age. How, what is it like working with your actual mother? Who uh, like it? It must be. Is it easier to be corrected all the time by your actual mom? It is very interesting because I, I my mother does a lot of the hosting work, but I, I do a lot of the producing okay. work. So in a weird way, I get to boss her around sometimes. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm very fortunate to be doing stuff with my family, especially because truly, my mother's a professional improviser, and she has an improv company here in Calgary called Dirty Laundry Calgary, and because of that. She's hilarious. She's very, very, very quick-witted, and she kind of she she pulls the rug out from my feet too many times. It's a the the mother and son hosting team is something we we dive into quite a bit on the podcast. Like in front of guests, she'll go, "Do you can't talk? Like, don't scold me in front of our guests." Yeah, <laughs> I should jump in here to point out that Griffin's mom is not just Griffin's mom. She does have a name, Karen Johnson Diamond, um, and Karen is actually one of the most extraordinary actors in Canada working today. Uh, Award-winning actor. She does comedy. She does drama. She's pretty amazing. In fact, I originally was going to bring her on the show. <laughs> but then I figured she'd just talk about Griffin. She herself is amazing. Griffin's grandma is amazing. And Griffin, I just wanted to say, I really appreciate you talking right off the start about the issue of privilege. Because especially in the arts... I think that we've got to make room for folks. And, you know, the people of your generation, if I can call it that, they're telling very different and interesting stories that we haven't heard before. And I just love your thoughts on how you're trying to lift that up using the privilege that you recognize in yourself. The other thing is the conversation around gatekeepers in terms of people who are can use their privilege to create their own work, but still have certain restrictions and biases that block out underrepresented people. And that's something I'm kind of constantly working on and I've, I've failed quite a bit at and I'm trying to work on. I mean, the past two or three years, I've kind of been reckoning with my privilege and to embrace that I'm kind of at the peak of it is 
weird but kind of humbling and in a weird way empowering place to be because I know what I can work on. Like I've been very, very lucky to have a lot of people providing resources and uh, and really just helping me learn. Recognizing this is is a huge step. A lot of people just take it for granted, get to the top and don't remember how they had to get there and don't help others get up. I can already tell that you're about lifting other people up. And we're going to segue into your series, which has just been greenlit for a second season, Abracadaver, uh, Abracadavers. That's right. I'm saying it correctly. Am I you saying it, it right? You did it. Diana always looks yes. at me like I'm saying things wrong. <laughs> now, it's just been greenlit for a second season. And I would encourage everyone to watch this because I watched it at Abracadavers TV online, but it's, it's out there internationally, my friend. It's Amazon. It's on What's the network in the United States that it's on? Specific one? It's fantasy TV? Right. Yeah. It's the fantasy so network. So you're in an amazing position that all Canadian entertainers and producers would love to be in. You've got international distribution. You're on the cusp of a second season. And you've got this supernatural element that you've brought into it. It could go a certain way, the story, but the storytelling in it is very specific as well. So I guess my question is, as a Canadian actor who now is producing your own show. How important is it to do to do all those things, to not just rely on the work to come to you, but to actually make your own work, make your own opportunity? I kind of got into producing in kind of a trial by fire scenario in the sense that there's sometimes as an actor, you go into the project, you do your work, you say, you, you know, you're kind, you say your goodbyes, you get your check, and that's kind of the end of your involvement with that project. You don't really get to really follow it. You're not really involved in the beginning stages of it unless you're a larger part so when I was asked by a few of my friends, this was like 2014, maybe, when we did the first $10,000 pilot of Abracadabras, I got a call from my buddy and he was like, right, so we're doing this show about, uh, uh, so your character, his mom died in a hair salon chair and then uh, uh, he, still, he steals the hair salon chair and the hair salon chair is giving him superpowers. So what's, what, what do you think? I was like, wow, that's a niche pitch. Okay, let's do it. And it was one of the projects that was kind of just like sticking with me and kind of nagging in the back of my brain, like, oh, this could really be something. I was like, so what's what's going on? What are we doing with it? What are we? What's happening with the thing? I kind of uh, bu bugged and pestered my way into producing the series. But there's something really fulfilling about it in a weird way. But you, you're putting a lot of yourself into every stage of the project and you... As producers, you often uh, shoulder a lot of the risk in terms of like in finances, but also just in, in the success of it and the, in the track record that that creates for you. I learned a lot about really the technical side of things in terms of the crew positions, the distribution, the marketing, the pre-production, where I, I would have never known that. I think the importance of creating your own work is very important for a few reasons. One, I think you, you get to invest yourself wholly and you get to a large theme of the Abracadabra series is, is establishing your own identity, which is something that I think my generation, especially at the age that I was when we made it, is, is very important in terms of making your mark in the world and figuring out kind of who you are. So I think producing your own work allows you to establish your identity of, of the art you're making and uh, like the kind of work you want to do and the person you want to be known as in the industry. But also, I think it's very important independent producers for the industry of a city or community as a whole. I think the, the work of independent producers in Alberta have played a large, large part in the success of film and television that we're seeing in Alberta right now. Because again, the Alberta film industry for me, at least in my lifetime, has always kind of been in waves, right? There's been like huge buzz around uh, Revenant and then Fargo. And, uh, and then we had that the little Game of Thrones thing that filmed in Banff for a little bit. And this, where we're coming into right now, is one of the like largest film movements, again, that I can only speak from my lifetime, where we have... Joe Pickett, Billy the Kid, The Last of Us, which is the new HBO series filming here for, I think, a hey, year. I haven't, I haven't announced that I'm one so yet. sorry. Okay, all right. It's the worst kept secret in the world. Craig Mazin <laughs> has already announced it on his podcast script notes, so it's out Every, there. Everyone it's in the world there. has announced it except for me. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mayor, I'd love to know who you're playing. <laughs> That's the real reason for all this, isn't it? It's the real reason he <laughs> That's can't. That's why he's do, leaving yes, politics. Starring in a series. I'm the understudy for the lead, which is a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> If any mayor that I've met could pull it off, it's you, sir. Now, Griffin, I have to say that I'm very, I, I can't say I'm proud of you. I'm just proud that you're doing this on behalf thank of you. Canada. Thank no, you. Thank you, Steve. You're like my podcast dad. I'm your podcast dad. I'll take that. You've got your real mom as you, and I'll be your podcast dad. We should get to this quickly because uh, in addition to your work on stage, on screen, and now in production, 
you are also, you do a lot of voice work, including the voice of Kuji Ibuki on Card Fight Vanguard. Now, I don't know what any of those words I just said mean, but tell me, neither. tell me what that is and why it's an important thing. <laughs> Where did you find that? Uh, okay. It's online. It's online, Griffin. Perfect. Yes. Something that I had learned only uh, six or seven years previously is that the animation and voiceover business in Calgary is fairly large, it's, it, which is something I had, I had no idea. Uh, for example, the last Shakespeare by the Bow that was online had an animation section that was done by one of the robot chicken animators, hmm. kind of coming out of nowhere. And it was very cool. So cool. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yes, Card Fight Vanguard. The only real way that I can describe it is this kind of like a Yu-Gi-Oh! and or a Pokemon. Oh, that clears it up. <laughs> you play the card and you go, this is my true card. And then the monster pops up and then the monster. Yeah, fight. Diana. There's a lot Oof. of card monster shows. I'm following. So, yes. I'm following. <laughs> of course I'm just putting it on are. my list right after catching up on the debaters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think that I've ever... Answered an interview question about Koji. We aim to ask the questions like no one else Koji does. Ibuki's oh, voice, could we? Please. Could you give us a little clip of the voice? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one un- second. I have to let, let me paint a of picture course. here. Koji Ibuki is a hmm twenty-something, a man in a white suit with a red tie and long silver hair, and he used to be the villain, and now he's part of the uh-huh. group. Yes. Are we ready? Ready. How am I going to fight for someone that can't even fight for themselves? <laughs> That's oh, that was I love it. terrifyingly transformational. <laughs> I want the audience to be able to see your face as you did that, because you had yes. to like completely change the structure of your face as you made that voice. Yeah, it was like watching <laughs> a reverse exorcism, having that go in. Uh, well, listen, I, now uh, I will ask you the two questions that we ask everyone as well, and then we'll wrap things up for today because I know both of you are very busy and have to, <laughs> one of you has to get on with running the city that you're in. Complete this sentence. The Canadian star system is undervalued. Well said. I have a lot of, there's a few friends that I, uh, that are talking so, so, uh, oftentimes about some of their favorite Canadian shows. And then I see them undercut it with like, but they're just really Canadian famous. And I, I always kind of wonder what that, what that means. It's, it's for, for sure. The, like the film market here isn't as large as something like the States or the UK or Australia, but it's, it's still got quality. It may not have quantity, but it's got I love quality. That. I love what you're saying here. And right into the next one, being the next door neighbor to the United States is like, it's like hearing your dad never shut up about how much he likes Jack in the Box. <laughs> <laughs> every, every every United States city that we go to, we have to search uh, uh, vigorously for a Jack in the Box so he can get his bacon cheeseburger, I think. Man, he loves that. I love Jack in the oh, Box. Oh, there it is. Saying. It's all coming together. Thank you so, so much for being part of this today. And uh, everyone, check out uh, these projects, especially Abra Cadavers. And uh, of course, uh, Card Fight Vanguard. Let's get in on that. <laughs> and uh, I wish you the absolute best in the remaining part of your term and well beyond, Mayor Nenshi. Thank, Thank you. you so much for everything you've done. Thank you for introducing us to Griffin. Don't call me Graham Cork. And Diana, did you have anything to add? Other than the fact that this is going to be a nightmare to edit now? because. <laughs> You kept, you kept it, you kept referring back to the name, but no, otherwise I'm very happy. This has been great. Yeah. It's called being a producer. Look just, into just it. Just play it yeah. beginning to end. No, no edits. edits. You'll be totally fine. No, no, no. Ref- reference what we're supposed to cut out. That's what making a podcast. I, yeah, I'm seamless. leaving it in. I'm leaving it in and making Steve look bad. <laughs> well, shows what you know. They can't see me. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like this episode, you may also like our interview with Sarah Sleen, who introduces us to political hopeful Ali Moman. You'll find it in our archives wherever you get your podcasts. The Canadian Star System is produced by Diana Francis and Steve Patterson in association with the Apostrophe Podcast Network. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit our website at canadianstarsystem.ca where you can find links to their work and their socials. Speaking of socials, you can follow at Canadian Star Pod and at Apostrophe Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Our editor and sound technician is Donovan Deschner of Fracture Ephemer Productions. Music by Mark Camilleri of Imagine Sound Studios. Special thanks to Terry O'Reilly, Debbie O'Reilly, Callie O'Reilly, and Nancy Patterson, 
who is an honorary O'Reilly. And since you're doing such a good job of listening to the credits, there's a bonus clip for you after Steve sings it out. So give it up to these good because I sell promotion subs. And if they went away, you sure would miss them. Canadian Star System. You were named world's best bear. I can't believe you're not wearing the sash right now. But <laughs> it was a tiara. Actually. It was a tiara. But that makes even more sense. It was from the dollar store. <laughs> the other mayors of Canada gave it to me <laughs> and made me wear it through an entire meeting, including a meeting with the prime minister. I love it. I love it. And then at the end, took it away. What? Because yeah. apparently one of the mayors had promised it to their little daughter. <laughs> well, that's Canada for you. We can't let you, we can't let you be too high too long. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.